So they have it all. Thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. That's right. It is Monday, December 11th, you guys. Today is National Stretching Day. It's UNICEF's birthday. Not sure who's celebrating that, all the globalists. It's also National App Day, as in apps. You know what I mean? Not like apps at the restaurant. And it's also National Noodle Ring Day. So shout out to SpaghettiOs and... International Mountain Day. That's right. Thank you all for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. You can look down below on your screen to see where we live on the Internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. And so welcome to everyone joining us from any one of those audiences. And also starting it off today, we have the Dope Dad himself, Mr. Rico Lameet, the man who's in full daycare mode when he's not fully at work. That's right, collecting cabbage with the happy people. That's right, it is the dope dad himself, Rico Lameet. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Anytime. So, uh... Though it has been challenged in numerous federal courts over the past couple of years with more than one judicial body finding the restriction is unconstitutional, the U.S. Department of Justice has continued to defend its ban on cannabis consumers exercising their right to bear arms. Could an off-overlooked line in a 2019 memo offer insight into how the U.S. government decides to who to go after? Apparently, the FBI says being a state-registered medical marijuana caregiver or grower does not automatically disqualify you as a person from owning a firearm. Uh, but any old citizen possessing a medical cannabis card as a patient does make you ineligible. The reason noted in their memo was uh, medical marijuana patients and everyday consumers pose unique dangers to society that justify withholding Second Amendment rights. With nationwide crime rising and cash-heavy cannabis businesses seen as an easy target for many aspiring criminals, tensions have been rising between federal gun policies and ever-expanding state legislation movements. But as reported by Marijuana Moment, a little-noticed FBI memo from 2019 offers a lens into how federal agencies interpret the nuances surrounding cannabis and firearms, an issue 
that's recently been raised in multiple federal court cases. Per the article, the government has several ways that it assesses firearm eligibility in the context of cannabis, according to the memo from FBI's Criminal Justice Information Services Division, which was briefly noted in a report from New York Times last week. In some cases, that involves affirmatively restricting gun rights based on activities or documentation that doesn't necessarily mean a person is an active marijuana consumer. At their core, the federal rules say that being an unlawful user of a controlled substance, including marijuana, means a person cannot buy or possess a gun. Would-be gun purchasers are required to disclose such use as part of a Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives form before making a purchase, and lying on that form is a felony offense. The federal government's interpretation of the policy is apparently more nuanced, as evidenced by the memo from CJIS's National Instant Criminal Background Check System section that's gone largely unscrutinized since being published more than four years ago. A person's firearm eligibility is partly determined by whether their use of a controlled substance is deemed, quote-unquote, current. FBI says that it is... Uh, not limited to the use of drugs on a particular day or within a matter of days or weeks before, but rather that the unlawful use has occurred recently enough to indicate the individual is actively engaged in such conduct, end quote. ATF has determined that the present time is represented by the time frame of within the past 12 months. That's what the memo says. The article goes deep into what DOJ and FBI are looking for in these cases, but basically they're saying as long as you if you're as long as you're an owner or operator of a cannabis business, a caretaker if you will, and there's no available evidence of you consuming cannabis within the last 12 months, they'll leave you alone. A direct excerpt from the memo reads as such. The following scenarios will be used to determine the disqualification period in regard to possession of a medical marijuana user card. 1. One year from the date of the medical marijuana user's card expiration date, or two, one year from the date of, quote-unquote, admission of possession of the medical marijuana user card, if no expiration date is available, or three, one year from the date the medical marijuana user card is relinquished. (laughs) Use of the marijuana or other controlled substance must be established for the prohibition to exist. FBI says, similarly, an individual may possess a medical marijuana handler's card as a caregiver, grower, or provider for another party, but would not be disqualified unless use was established. Marijuana Moment also points out that other rules detailed in the memo apply broadly to any controlled substance but stand out for their administrative specificity. Uh, For instance, When a person is convicted of possession or use of an illicit drug, FBI counts that as evidence of present use within the last year, regardless of the length of time since the arrest itself. If a person is arrested but their conviction is deferred or uh, through a pretrial diversion program, that judgment cannot be used as evidence of current use. Instead, the memo says that information must be taken from the arrest report. When it comes to arrests for drug paraphernalia, that on its own does not automatically disqualify for firearm ownership. However, such an arrest in the past year can also uh, be researched to determine if the incident report shows that the individual admitted to the use or possession of controlled substance at the time of paraphernalia arrest. Now, I don't know about y'all, but the fact that they have to go and get so nuanced in what does and does not constitute as grounds for my eligibility to exercise my Second Amendment rights, tells me that they know that they're in the wrong and they are flailing. Cherry-picking reasons to harass law-abiding citizens, making an effort to protect their businesses, their homes, and their families in a country where their very own agencies are struggling to provide valid reasons to exist. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm a fervent supporter of the right to bear arms for reasons obvious and not. I swear to y'all that uh, I try my best to respect the rule of law and um, the ones charged with the heavy burden of keeping the peace. But shit like this tends to shift my personal allegiances further into the opposite lane, if y'all picking up what I'm putting down. 
Um, but those are just my thoughts as Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street for High Nine News. I'd love to hear what everybody else thinks about this one. Devil's in the details, Jason. I mean, every time I hear or think about the topic of gun ownership and how it's viewed as it coincides with cannabis, it's really defeating for individuals like us who have been advocating for this plant our entire lives. It's also equally defeating because it just makes me ask the question about relationship to alcohol and and gun issues and how you can own alcohol and you can own firearms. And I'm just wondering what kind of data there is out there in the world that shows the correlation between um, owning a firearm and cannabis use being lethal or dangerous versus alcohol. Um, we've all heard of alcohol-related um, accidental shootings over the years, um, mm-hmm. but this question just looms very heavily for me. And then also, does utilizing cannabis um, to treat any kind of symptom of, of, of a health issue at all suddenly make you incapable of utilizing a firearm correctly? I don't. I don't believe so. Rico, well, the, article, the, article gets, you know, the article gets pretty granular, <laughs> but um, one thing that they did say in there that I did not uh, actually cut from my uh, script today was um, they said that they believe they have uh, reason to believe they have valid reason to believe that marijuana users will not store their firearms properly (laughs) or will not keep them safely. Oh, that's uh, that's because of all the gummy instances, huh? Huh, Rico? That's because all the gummies. I guess so. <laughs> building a case. <laughs> I mean, it was so, so, but um, Rico, in, in all fairness, wasn't this country started by, with cherry picking? No, it was started by genocide. Oh, no, God. it started with an honest. <laughs> oh, my God. It was started with that. an honest omission about who chopped down the cherry tree. That's cherry picking. That was, and that, and that cherry That's tree story chopping. was, I think. I believe that cherry tree story was debunked uh, multiple times. Government propaganda. I don't know about all that. Yes, I'm pretty sure. I mean, the government um, lies. What? (laughs) Government continues to lie. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't see why you people continue to support this government. (laughs) I do see see them doing a bunch of of backtracking, though, in in this. And and the reality is that uh, they should not be imposing on Americans' rights to choose what substances they want to consume. And they should not be uh, infringing on your Second Amendment rights. And that's just, just... just and I just wish I would have gone to law school because I would be that lawyer who would just be like suing the government left and right for everything I could think of. Yes. yes they need to stay out of our medicine. No, we, we have enough of those, Mandy. I think if no, you had gone to law school, you would have done something elevated and different. I, you know, I, Probably. I, the, I don't know. Or I get assassinated. Is, we, 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 <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt that we have a problem in terms of how the Second Amendment is interpreted in this country. And there are some places where it is, uh, where we could do a better job of limiting assault weapons in the hands of people under 25 who typically also have a history of mental health issues. And we also have a problem on the other side where an expungement of a cannabis felony does not restore someone's Second Amendment rights. And if you know anything about, uh, Cannabis users who are passionate about cannabis, they love their accoutrements, their uh, paraphernalia. So the chances that they would be the gun owners that wouldn't store their guns properly is probably the opposite. They would have all the cool bags and the locks and the biometric <laughs> safe and the like yes. acrylic little glass accoutrements on and they'd be uh, like, look, I got this. If guns, if got guns, if guns, scan on it. Yeah, if guns were handy rigs. Scan on my shit joint. You're funny. <laughs> if guns were heady rigs. <laughs> So, I mean, we do, we do have, we have to have a conversation about what reasonable gun reform looks like. And we also have to have a conversation about destigmatizing cannabis. And that means treating it the way we treat anything else. Mandy had a good point around how we treat alcohol, alcohol in the house, yada, yada, yada. So I think there's, uh, this is one of those places that shows the painful lack of progress around destigmatizing cannabis users. To me, the only, the only, the only legitimate form of, of, um, of what you're referring to as far as uh, legitimate gun control would be requiring background checks for, for mentally ill and checking 
checking people out before they get issued licenses. Other than that, there should be no other types of gun control, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I do think gun control needs to be defined as more than using both hands while discharging a firearm, Jason. And I do think that— um, Well, some of us can you know, shoot with have, one. We, we have data in, and I think it's important for us to look at that data. And that data clearly shows that people under 25 probably don't need access to high-capacity uh, magazines and assault weapons. I'm not saying that all Americans shouldn't have access to assault weapons. I'm not saying that the AR-15 isn't as American as baseball and apple it's pie. America. I am saying that if you look at the statistics of these crazy mass school shooters, the vast majority of them are young men under 25 years old. And I think we need to take a look at that data and make the proper policy adjustments and digging in and bearing down and just going second amendment, go, 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 grr, 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 yahoo, yahoo, whatever, pry my, my dead hands off my farm is isn't going to work to keep kids safe. And so uh, I think we do need to take a look at how the Second Amendment, which does include the, you know, a well-regulated militia uh, as sort of those that preceding text around what is why we're allowed to have guns. We don't have a well-regulated militia and we don't have gun policy that makes any sense in this country anymore. That is so, so right. I don't think anything makes sense in this country. Oh, a lot. It's crazy. Right. You can't rent a car it. till you're you can't rent a car till you're 25, but you can buy an extended capacity magazine AR-15. And you can go to war on behalf people. of our country. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in all yeah. fair, in all fairness, in, in all fairness, in all fairness, a rental car can be a uh, an assault weapon. Totally, yeah. Bullshit. I remember yeah. I was in L.A. when that old old dude drove through the farmers market. Oh yeah, in Venice. Yeah, bro, that was uh, Santa Monica. Yeah, it was gnarly. Yeah. yeah. Yes, but I'm I'm also pro gun. I smoke a ton of weed, but I think there's enough science out that that folks' brains aren't really well formed until 25, and and you know what's the rush at that point. Yes, and on that, on those brain formations, we're going to go to a commercial, and we're going to be right back. Sick of the December cold? Then fly out to Miami in December for Turk Basil. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. The Hyatt Nine head honcho, known for his smoking of the best weed in the world all over the planet, but also love for day one dictators. That's <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Day life. one, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Slanging them things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jason Beck. Oh, yeah. Good morning, Rico. I hope everyone had a fantastic weekend. I know. I know I did. Got a lot of stuff done and whatnot but uh you know you know the the state that never seems to to let us down right now new york that's right you guys are you ready for this because hundreds more cannabis licenses to be approved in early 2024 they say when new york's cannabis control board is, issues the next round of licenses to open legal marijuana shops in the state it's going to be luck of the draw the state cannabis control board met friday in albany for the first time since the long-awaited resolution of two lawsuits that brought new york's marijuana industry to a standstill since august in quotes I think between now and the end of the year, we're going to see a lot more doors opening. Cannabis Control Board Chair Termaine Wright told Capitol tonight after Friday's meeting. Uh, the nearly four-month hiatus prevented hundreds of people issued licenses under the state's conditional adult use retail dispensary program, which focused on issuing licenses to people with past marijuana convictions from opening up shop. <clears throat> a week after the court was order was lifted, board members have turned their attention to a new priority, approving retail licenses for aspiring entrepreneurs who have already secured store space. In a quote, we're ready to go. We just need the state to review the licenses, said Paul Suits, one of the roughly 1,500 people. Um, people, has, people has space for a cannabis dispensary 
prepared for business and applied within the OCM's priority window to issue the state's first general adult use retail licenses. Suits and his brother co-own Lake House Cannabis in Cortland, New York, and applied when applications opened in October 4th. They traveled to Albany on Friday to tell the board they have everything they need to open their doors except the state's approval. In quotes, we're ready to help Cortland out to help New York and help our country out with this with with that revenue suit said we know it'll work it's just a matter of when the office of cannabis management accepted licenses applications uh, to all aspiring cannabis sellers in two groups first the people who secured retail space which closed on November 17th, and the current window for interested entrepreneurs to apply closes on December 18th. That's in seven days, you guys. OCM officials uh, say the general adult use licenses will be issued using a lottery system and approved in batches during the first quarter of 2024 on a rolling basis. In quotes, we're looking forward to the first quarter of 2024 and to see a lot more people joining the ranks of our licenses, Wright said. The board announced Friday that they'd finished the queuing process or randomized list of the roughly 1,500 people who applied with a solidified location. And OCM officials on Friday said the board will approve 250 retail licenses of the applications submitted during that uh, priority period that closed on November 17th. Each applicant will be assigned a number of where they are on the list, and Suits said he expects to hear from OCM where his application falls in the queue within the next 10 days. Suits is most concerned about uh, hiring staff quickly, but New York's illicit cannabis market with thousands of illegal marijuana shops open throughout the state. Suits added he's confident the problem will dissipate as more legal stores open. Why would these stores dissipate when more legal stores open when those legal stores are selling year-and-a-half-old weed on top of outrageous tax rates. I have no clue about this, why he thinks that, but whatever. In a quote, he also says, they want to know where their cannabis is coming from and they want to make sure it's covered in some weird chemical or pesticide that's going to get them sick, he said. Hundreds of licenses and farmers packed the board's meeting over the last several months, often speaking for hours during the meeting's public comment period, but Friday's meeting was sparsely attended with only seven people addressing the board. Wright is confident several more dispensaries will open in the state before the end of the year with more than 400 approved curd licenses who can work toward opening who are barred by the in, who were previously barred by the injunction in a quote together we're going to go through both of these processes and get people opening their doors and their businesses and impacting cannabis in New York State. Meanwhile, Cannabis Grower Showcases, or the program that allowed cannabis growers to sell their products at approved venues and public events, uh, sunsets at the end of the year. The OCM says the legislature will need a need to pass to, to pass a law to make the program uh, pr uh, permanent, and with the injunction lifted, enough dispensaries will open will open to sell thousands of pounds of surplus product of New York farmers have from last season. No one's going to buy that shit, you guys. Why are you guys trying to keep trying to push that weed on people? In quotes, if they decide that's the direction they want us to move, we're happy to work with our legislators to get this moving, Wright said. And Senate Cannabis Committee Chair Senator Jeremy Cooney said on Friday he's disappointed that the program will sunset during the ongoing licensing process. And in quotes, I've heard from a number of growers and retailers that the cannabis growers showcase are a helpful tool in the transition to the adult use program, Cooney said. I believe there is an opportunity to extend uh, the showcases to regions without curd dispensaries or illegal retail access, and New Yorkers need more opportunities to purchase safe and legal cannabis, not less, he says. The senator is open to exploring permanent legislation next session, but is open to discussion about the board taking action to extend the program in the meantime to maximize growers' legal opportunities to sell their products. And the two dispensaries opened in the capital region on Thursday and Friday, OCM has granted its final approval to more than a dozen licensees since the injunction was lifted, with their businesses expected to open in the coming weeks. Well, 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 New York's still trying to push this bunk-ass weed on everybody, and I don't understand why, but I want to know what you guys have to say. And this is Jason Beck for the High at Nine News Hour. What do y'all think? You know exactly why, Jason. You know exactly why. Why? Why? Yeah. We're, we're coming up on We have... Uh, we have all these booth was it 18 more days. Not, we got 20, 20 more days left in this month. 
Mm -hmm. You know what it means? 20 more days to set up for that photo op, the end of year photo op that Kathy Hochul and the rest of these people will have saying that, guess what? We did it again. <laughs> we did it again. We're... We we made it through all you guess, naysayers. Guess, guess, guess what? We're opening up everything. Guess, guess what happens? Guess, <laughs> guess what happens? Guess what happens on the day after the 31st? What's that? All that weed is going to be all that weed is going to be an additional year older that they're selling in all those God. New York stores. Right. That's the truth. Why don't they just yes. tea party that shit? Like go right on out into the water. Because they, prom they promised they promised all these cultivators that they were all going to get paid for it. And that was going to be the only source of flour for the state. And so these guys are just sitting on it, expecting to sell it, expecting to get $4,000 a pound. It's asinine. That's crazy. And, and, and they're, they're giving the trap. They're the giving, only thing you can trap. do with that weed now is turn it into something edible or topical or some kind of distillate. That's it. That's all you can do with that weed now. Nah, you can, they're, they're, still, they're still selling it. They're still selling it. They're still selling yeah, the weed. It's a gift. This, this is a you gift can make RSO trap. with it. Gift. RSO is, 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 a gift. is for the bodegas out there saying that like, you, uh, you guys want the fresh weed. We got the mm -hmm. fresh. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how many people got sore throats from smoking this New York weed. Seriously, I have, throat, I have a sore throat talking about the missteps of New York cannabis policy. I mean, it has not been linear at best. And when they when they approved the justice involved and transitioning hemp growers over to cannabis and didn't simultaneously approve brick and mortar retail, mm -hmm. this glut of regulated supply was built into everything that they've done since. And so uh it's it's a really sad situation for farmers to be sitting on biomass and hoping that that's going to somehow be able to be compliantly monetized in a way that is still customer centric. Nobody wants old weed. It's like French bread. When you go to the store, mm -hmm. you be squeezing on them loaves to see what was the newest French bread that just got dropped off, and nobody hey, wants old cannabis. Yeah, but but you know who's going to have the new shit? The MSOs. Because they've been operating as medical operators. Because yeah, mm. they're just turning on the engine. That's right. And, mm. and my friends who live about in New York. York. What's that, Matthew? I don't know. There's Is it in my friends who live in New York? Like, fresh. all the trappers have the freshest weed, man. Like, they do. They do. The way they did this, they really, I don't see how they're ever going to really go backwards. They kind of open it up, open up the floodgates, and there's there's a ton of great weed. It's just not at any of the legal shops. Mm -hmm. I think, I so think. So there's another win for the MSOs, man. They're going to have the fresh weed. The trapper's going to have the fresh weed. And then everybody else trying to operate legally. Yeah, a, 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 that is the crazy part. MSOs would have fresher weed than all the retail, all the legitimate retailers. That is so true. That's probably the first time that's ever happened in any state. I mean, what would be awesome is if the government could underwrite some reasonable remuneration for farmers who are sitting on old biomass, and all of that biomass could get put into the compassionate care column and be given yes. to people who can't afford cannabis with the draconian tax structure, but still deserve access to clean tested medicine. We can go through those categories, whether they're cancer patients, veterans, et cetera, you name it, whatever, pick a group that tugs at your heartstrings. But there is this lack of a compassion program in most regulated uh, states. And the idea around medical cannabis was originally pioneered by people who were really trying to help patients and didn't have necessarily all the empirical science behind them, but understood at its core that it was helping people who needed it. And so how cool would it be if New York could take this oh, do, 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 and turn it into a oh, 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 and actually say, you know what, we recognize that in spite of the fact that we're trying to get our tax money on, there are people who probably deserve to pay zero to little and we are going to put this into a different column, a different bracket, and let's do a redo with fresh, fresh regulated cannabis from farmers who want to but, get out there and do it again. Mm -hmm. But Yaro, but Yaro, but, but aren't you making an argument to give, you know, the less fortunate old medicine? Yes, yep. I am. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nasty stuff that's going to hurt hurt their immune system. That stuff is not safe. That's That stuff is not safe. You only can give those to, like, the street zombies with their fentanyl packages. Dangerous. It's just... Old hand, cannabis is not inherently dangerous. It's just not inherently exciting either. It's like flat beer. It'll still get you off, but it's not going to taste as good. Oh, it's like buying that two-and-a-half-year-old soda that already had been opened. Well, the best yeah. thing to do with it is to make it into RSO because it still has THC. It has CBD in it. A lot of the THC is degraded into CBN, which helps chill people out. And you can make RSO with... 
Bacardi 151 or Everclear or Neutral Grape Spirits really easy in your house. You know, just keep it away from open flames. Don't blow yourself up. But it's a very easy process to make RSO, and it works Bro, they're against not gonna be, conditions. You're not going to have any people being able to go into a store and being able to buy bulk flour and turn it into RSO. No, I'm talking about the state empowering these farms to do it. Yeah, that's, that's good luck with that. Good luck with that. Yeah. Shout out to Kathy Hochul. I, 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 I do, I do, I do, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you, Matthew. That 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 could be a solution, but it's it's not it's not going to be realistic in 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 this world that we currently live in now. But nonetheless, we are going to move right on into the Count himself. That's right. It is the immortal being that has walked the planet for thousands upon thousands of years, and we're all still wondering why. Apparently, all of his clothes are laced with diamonds, and that also is comes with his weed. That's right. It's none other than Mr. Matthew Saint Germain. Thanks, Brother Jason. Thanks, everybody. Happy Monday. I have a great, interesting story and and a lot to say about it, uh, and I hope you guys do, too. So it appears, according to a new Journal of American Medical Association article, psychedelics are on a collision course with the FDA. A new article in the Journal of the American Medical Association suggests that state-regulated psychedelics are on a collision course with the U.S. FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. The article was written by Dr. Mason Marks of the Project on Psychedelics Law and Regulation at the Petri Flom Center at Harvard Law School. The FDA is currently reviewing psychedelic compounds like psilocybin and MDMA for various biotech companies. But some states aren't waiting for drug approvals. Oregon kicked off state approvals in 2020 when voters approved Measure 109 to create a program for supervised non-therapeutic use of psilocybin. Colorado followed when its residents passed Proposition 122, with psychedelic businesses expected to open in 2025. Other states are considering similar legal, uh, legislation. Not unlike cannabis, most psychedelic drugs are considered to be Schedule 1 drugs, which makes them federally illegal. Schedule 1 means toxic, high potential for abuse, high potential for addiction. None of that's true with psychedelics. It, this means that state legal programs are committing felonies when treating patients with psilocybin. Of course, that hasn't stopped the cannabis industry from becoming a billion-dollar industry while also federally illegal. The author of the article points out the similarities between psychedelics and cannabis when it comes to the FDA and suggests that the FDA may react accordingly. While Oregon law states that psychedelics can't be used to treat health conditions, it hasn't stopped many businesses from advertising the use of psilocybin for depression and addiction treatments. And psilocybin has has, uh, proof going back to the 40s and 50s for, for being efficable for this stuff. Uh, they think that the FDA is going to start targeting these companies, and indeed, in 2022, the FDA sent out more than a dozen letters alleging illegal marketing of cannabis products. Now, in 2023, the FDA has issued a warning about off-label prescribing of ketamine. The FDA has also issued warnings about Kraton products, which are often sold next to other gray market cannabis products. Marx believes the FDA, FDA is likely to prove synthetic versions of psychedelic drugs as they are patentable and the pharma companies can make a ton of money off of them. Sending the compounds to a lower level scheduling. However, fungal derived psilocybin could remain illegal because no corporations can make money off of it. The JAMA article also noted that the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, could enter the picture as well as it also cracks down on medical Over the past 10 years, the FTC has filed more than 120 cases challenging claims made by supplement manufacturers. The FDA and the FTC treat medical claims the same, whether it's cannabis, psychedelics, or just over the counter supplements. Marx highlighted the confusion that consumers face. For example, he wrote, Although the Oregon Health Authority acknowledges its psilocybin program is non-medical, it declines to, its for- to enforce its own restrictions on making medical claims. The article continues saying, The Natural Medicine Advisory Board, which helped regulators draft rules for Colorado's program, interprets Colorado's law to require state health insurance funded by federal Medicaid to cover health services offered in, conjun- in conjunction with unapproved psychedelic medicines. Medicaid prohibits using its funds to support the use of Schedule 1 drugs and requires state insurance to cover related services. you got to catch 22 there if you're trying to get help in Colorado. Marks believes states should err on the side of conservatism when crafting these psychedelic laws so that consumers aren't confused over what is and what isn't approved. Ultimately, the article believes that psychedelics will end up as a bifurcated market similar to cannabis. Some of it, like synthetic products, could become legal while or mother... Other more natural versions, pardon me, from Mother Nature become illegal. So this highlights a huge problem that we're having with the FDA. You know, first and foremost, the DEA schedule of all of psychedelic drugs and cannabis was under Richard Nixon's administration specifically to attack the Students for a Democratic Society, the Black Panthers, the Weather Underground, the anti-war and the free speech movements. That's the only reason this shit was invented in the first place. Now, secondarily, what you have is the FDA and FTC watching 
as long as there's no proof of a supplement, real scientific proof of a supplement helping people, same thing with these psychedelics, they'll allow you to sell them. The moment any study is done that shows any proof of efficacy, it will then ban them until somebody pays 4 to $8 million plus for an FDA study to prove that it's safe by the FDA. And so what they can do then is, is prevent otherwise law-abiding Americans from, from accessing supplements and, and other substances that can help them drastically because they are non-patentable, so these for-profit corporations can't make any money on them, so nobody wants to pay the money for the studies. And that's what's going on with this. In addition to that going on with these psychedelics, it's also happening with NAD and certain peptides like BPC-157. You've got NAD, which is a substance that helps, that gets into the mitochondria of your cells, helps basically refresh and renew your cells, improves vision, improves hearing, is almost like an anti-aging and, and, and health-providing benefit, which was totally legal until a couple of European studies came out that showed that there was an actual benefit. The moment they showed an actual benefit, the FDA moved to ban NAD. While you can still get it in certain on certain websites, it's basically federally banned. You can't get it in Whole Foods or, or GNC or any of these supplement stores anywhere. Not because it's dangerous, it has decades of safe use, but literally because it works and there's no profit in it. So I'm, I'm going to throw this to everybody else. This is Matthew St. Germain for the Hyatt 9 News. Jump on in here, you guys. Let's have a discussion about this. And, and how do we get around the FDA and these for-profit corporations preventing us from reaching for safe, inexpensive, health-providing medicines and supplements? What do you think, guys? I think there's only one answer to that, Matthew. Yes, sir. Fight Club. <laughs> That's so, the only let answer. Me, since we this. don't have a bunch of people jumping in, let me talk to you about a peptide. There's a peptide called BPC-157. I've had an injured knee for a couple of years. I heard it at the first Emerald Cup Judges Retreat Party. I was, I was winning the party so hard I got a lion onesie awarded to me. I started doing cartwheels in the kitchen because uh, of the getting the onesie. Everybody was, yeah, everybody was clapping, and I'm an idiot. If people start clapping, I'll, I'll just go oh, for I it. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, I cartwheeled into a chair, and I ripped yes. my meniscus. So I've been, I've been on this up-and-down roller coaster of healing, and every time it seems like it's getting better, I work it out too hard, and I stress it. and it's, it's Well, everyone again. starts clapping all of a sudden, and then you just do something more stupid. I do. I, I'm, yeah. I'm horrible that way. <laughs> if people love me. I'll do anything. So, but but I've been hearing about BPC-157. I start hearing about it on different podcasts. I see that the UFC is moving to ban it because it's radically effective. And I go over to my buddy Josh Hobbs's house. He's also had an injured knee. He's been using this BPC-157. He finally talked me into, you have to inject it into your skin. Um, what uh, peptides are are complex amino acids that work as programming code to uh, cause the body itself to repair and heal itself. He talked me into it. He shot the uh, BPC into the skin around my knee where my meniscus is torn. Within 12 hours, I had no pain, and I had full return uh, use of, of my limb, full strength. I've been doing it twice a day for about two weeks. It's about a month-long course. And my knee's better where ice and rest and restorative exercises and all these things weren't quite doing what I needed it to do. And so the moment the FDA finds out that something like this is radically helping people, they move to ban it. The FDA right now is moving move, moving to ban BPC-157 and other peptides because no one will do the study to prove that they aren't harmful, even though there's decades of use of these products. They are not harmful. But because they are not patentable, nobody wants to put in that first 4 to $8 million for a study because there will be no return. Every other company can also sell that product the moment you prove it's safe. And I think this is a huge problem in our for-profit medical and for-profit um, uh, organ. Uh, 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 certification and, and rules-making organizations, and I think it's something we as Americans need to attack wholeheartedly. I totally agree with you, Matthew, on all of that. I'm all for this peptide. It's like roll tide. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I give a pep talk on peptides, and I think that, you know, <laughs> certainly we need to look at what the, what the FDA's role is. I, I think that they do a pretty good job in making sure that unfounded medical claims are regulated against. And right. I think this industry specifically could do a good job on continuing to under-promise and over-deliver in respects to validated medical claims. I think yeah. separate from that, if something hasn't been proven to be dangerous, then we should probably default to the idea that it might not be helpful, but it isn't harmful. And then there is a proliferation of a lot of uh, uh, psychedelic or psychotropic 
compounds in, that aren't um, that aren't regulated yet. You and I, Matthew, had the pleasure of sharing a car ride uh, together this weekend, and we talked about this psychedelic honey that is available on the internet that from overseas that people can order on Amazon. And that the way I learned about this was because my teenage kids are pointing out these under-regulated or unregulated compounds that can be ordered off the internet. I think psychedelics are great. I think they should be extremely age-restricted. I think we have to sort of delineate between age-restricted versus society-restricted, right? And I think to yes. your point, you know, I think, Matthew, when you come on here, one of your uh, common foundational premises is that the, the world and society would be doing a better job of loving itself if we all tuned in, tuned out, dropped one, played the didgeridoo, had a big group bear hug, did a little kumbaya, and got back to the connection that made humanity something exciting where it was uplifting itself, uplifting the world, and saving blue whales from fishing nets. And and so I, I, I don't disagree with you, and I think that society has become incredibly disconnected. People don't feel like like they're in community with each other. It's very much a fuck you. It's all about me. And and that and if we could sort of get back to the roots of what made humanity pretty cool uh, with psychedelics or with more emphasis on on being in togetherness, I don't think that's a bad thing. I do think that psychedelics absolutely are, should be age restricted. And I'm terrified. I'm terrified of a world where some kid takes psychedelics and walks out into a street and gets hurt. And what I also know is that those risks already exist for kids and that my terrifi being terrified of that doesn't change the threat factors that are already out there. There's already fentanyl. There's already psychedelics. There's already Xanax bars on the skate park that have fentanyl in them. And so my fear about what legalizing psychedelics or increasing access to psych psychedelics could do to children is me as a parent not being clear that the boogeyman in the closet doesn't exist. And I'm just like... Uh, well, and the truth well and so many people want to, Yaro, so many people want to, so many people want to hide their heads in the sand and, and let's just illegalize all drugs and give a death penalty. But really, here's the thing. I never did. I did a tiny bit of cocaine. It's fucking pointless. Never did heroin. Never did speed. Never, never got into pills. And it's because my parents gave me real information about drugs. If we contrast that with what happened in the 60s. Hippie generation turned on to weed and their parents and society was telling them weed was going to make them murder people and destroy their lives. And when it didn't, they thought that the government was telling lies about heroin, speed, cocaine and hard drugs. We saw a very promising generation that was hooked into psychedelics and doing a lot of amazing things for the most part start to spin around the drain because of, of getting into major hard drug usage. Um, so I think that legalization and education is just going to help people make better decisions and help people find better drugs that aren't adulterated with fentanyl and other products and would actually lead to safety. But it takes a lot of bravery as both a person and a society to take that step. I also want to backtrack real quick and, and say that though I, though I advocate for psychedelics strongly, I don't think psychedelics are a panacea and or a, a complete solution. I was talking about this with my friend Zach Darling because he was uh, of, of the mindset, again, that you know everybody just needs to get high and we're going to get it together. And, and what I've seen with enough people who have taken vast amounts of psychedelics but gotten into some really drippy and uh, mostly right-wing hate groups and some some really QAnon and some really weird pointless shit is it's not just psychedelics we also need clear reasoning and critically think critical thinking skills and that's one of the reasons I try to advocate not just for psychedelics but for training oneself in the trivia method of education that's grammar logic and rhetoric Grammar is how to spell words how letters work how words work together to form sentences that are true or false Rhetoric is then how to combine these true sentences to create a, an argument that can sway another person. It's also, rhetoric is also how to look at other people's combinations of, of sentences and paragraphs to determine whether they contain logical fallacies, such as appeal to emotions or straw man arguments, and to be able to tell if somebody's trying to uh, influence you with propaganda or emotion, right? Logic is, is, is I, I got it, uh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, pardon me. Logic is how to construct sentences in order to determine the true or the trueness, true, truth or falsity, sorry, uh, of a statement. When we, when we have a command of grammar, logic, and rhetoric, we can then begin to look at other people's statements and, and more correctly determine the truth and or the veracity of them. If we have a firm grasp of, grasp of logic, we can use the connection and the perspective we see in psychedelics. We can then use our own logic to kind of construct and go through a logic puzzle about what we should be doing. Like, where's everybody from? We're all from Earth. What does that mean? 
That means we're all related. Oh, we're all related, so we're all a family, right? So should we be holding guns at certain members of our family? Should we be stealing from our family? We should be kicking our family out on the streets, or should everybody have a place at the table? Well, everyone should have a place at the table because we're all one human family. I could go on and on at length of that, but what I'm seeing in the cla- in the in the chat is people want an update from Ego Clash. I didn't go because man, I was tired. I should have gone. All my friends were there. But what I do know is Trichome Tortoise, a younger gentleman, uh, took home first place. I don't know exactly what his what his uh, what his mix or his particular blend was, but I I know that uh, this kid has been really creating big waves because of his his. Um, way he navigates because of his awesomeness his smile his friendliness his commitment to quality and i saw uh the award ceremony and everybody was just incredibly stoked at his winning and one more thing you guys are asking in the chat about this silly band-aid it's not a fashion statement i had a friendly skin cancer removed i've I've spent a little bit too much time under hid lights and out in the sun growing weed and good news is they said it's not the one that's going to kill me uh bad news is they had to take my friend away from me so I'm healing up from that. So that's a quick sideways from St. Germain on all the news that fits. They took your Nelly away and all that. We have to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And... With the tower propelling at 2,600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. Oh, coming up next, she's a mom. She is also a cannabis executive and an Emerald Cup Edibles judge who wants to show you how motherhood and a cannabis executive lifestyle all go hand in hand. That's right, it is Miss Carmen Sacramento herself, Miss Mandy Tingler. Good morning, everybody. Matthew, I have got a story that is going to piggyback right off of yours. We're all talking about legislative change that needs to take place and Looks like Missouri is trying to do their fair share of work. My headline reads, Missouri GOP lawmakers file bills to legalize psilocybin therapy and fund clinical trials for 2024 session. Missouri Republican lawmakers pre-filed a pair of bills to legalize the medical use of psilocybin that require clinical trials exploring the therapeutic potential of the psychedelic. Senator Holly Thompson Ryder, and Representative Aaron McMullen introduced similar versions of the legislation for the 2024 session, setting the stage for further consideration of psychedelics reform in the Show Me State. Under both proposals, adults 21 or older who were diagnosed with qualifying conditions such as post-traumatic stress disorder or substance misuse disorder could legally access laboratory-tested psilocybin. They would also need to be enrolled or sought enrollment in a Department of Health and Senior Services clinical trial involving the psychedelic. The Senate version mirrors a separate House bill that advanced to the floor this year but was ultimately not enacted. There are also numerous requirements for patients to provide DHSS with information about their diagnosis, the person who would be administering psilocybin, and other details on the place and time of the treatment sessions. Psilocybin could only be administered over a maximum of a one-year period, with the amount of psychedelic in that treatment capped at 150 milligrams, though qualifying patients could also be approved to continue for subsequent one-year periods. Regulators, physicians, and state agency officials would all be protected from legal consequences related to activity made lawful under the legislation. Also, the legislation for DHSS to provide $2 million in grants research on the use and efficacy of psilocybin. Uh, a person named Epen Thampi, a lobbyist for American Shaman and organizer of Psychedelic Missouri, told Marijuana Moment that he expects the Senate measure will be further, re- further refined through the committee process. The biggest issue with passing this proposal in 2024 will be external politics and election year drama, he said. We've largely won the argument about the legitimacy and urgency of the need of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. The measure further expands the state's right to try statute 
to allow people with life-threatening or severely debilitating conditions to access experimental controlled substances, in addition to those with terminal illnesses as, a case, as in the case under current law. It would strike language that prohibits the use of Schedule One drugs in an, an initial step to potentially opening up access to other substances such as additional psychedelics. Additionally, the state that psilocybin research states that psilocybin research can be done by an institution of higher education in the state or contract research organizations conducting trials approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Missouri has stood out as a key battleground for the psychedelics reform movement with multiple GOP legislators championing proposals to free up access and promote research into the therapeutic potential of plant-based medicines in recent years. You guys, we just had a long conversation about the need for reform. I'm curious to hear what you think about Missouri's ideas on how it ought to be done. This is Carmen Sacramento coming at you on a bright, shiny Monday morning. What do you say? I know Epin. That is such a small, oh, yeah? small world. Yes, yes, yes. We've worked on cannabis policy together back in the day. Oh, very cool. Yes. He has a cool name. Yes, yeah. Shout out to Epin out there in Missouri helping them out with their mushrooms. Apparently now, this, move this is good news. I mean, yeah. what do you what do you guys think? Because the reform has to start somewhere, right? not saying that this has all the answers. I'm not saying that I agree with every single one of these proposals, but it's something. I don't like when we propose like dosage limits. I feel like that has to be up to the clinician and the patient. Mm -hmm. I agree with but that. The accessibility, the, the insight and the forethought and the advocate, advocacy for um, research studies, for people to have controlled environments where they can go and get treatment. These are really strong steps in the right direction, in my opinion. I, I just feel like ultimately it's going to it's going to lead to a similar thing like what Matthew stated in the previous story. It's going to be basically uh, mushrooms are going to end up being cannabis uh, 2.0 all over again. And you're going to have have a thriving uh, trap market. And then you're going to have a, a big, large pharmaceutical market on the compound side of it. And then you're going to have still maybe possibly some states have some form of a regulated marketplace, but the trap is going to probably thrive more than anything. We've, we've been seeing the exact wait. same arc with, with cannabis too, in that so many people jumped out of cannabis and into mushrooms thinking yep. they were going to make a quick conversion. And because of that, the price is, has, has bottomed out and there's an, an overwhelming glut of supply. Another reason for the glut of supply is unlike uh, cannabis, mushrooms are dried or freeze dried and so can actually last several years. So the glut isn't like cannabis, where if you have a glut within a few months, a lot of that will expire. But there's a lot of pounds sitting around everywhere. For me, it's a great thing. And the thing I see about mushrooms is they're doing an even better job of cannabis, uh, even better job than cannabis, of of really resisting commodification and, and the money hustle. And one of the things I think psychedelics are here on Earth to do is to show us that money is an abstract concept and not necessary. Uh, if you were to listen to the uh, Petrogrammaton podcast with Rick Rubin, in which he had RFK on, they were discussing that the main reason for the uh, the creation of fiat currency in Europe was to f uh, was to fund colonization and and uh, expeditionary wars. And so we have a tool that is literally made for oppression and warfare. And as much as people think that it's real and it'll never change, you know, I talk to people all the time and I have a lot of visions for the future. I, I feel like I'm still brave and able to not just say, oh, it's the way it is. And it's always going to be fucked. I have visions for the future and I encounter a lot of people that think that the status quo is going to be forever. But if you look through history, there's long periods of the status quo and then there's short as uh, sometimes violent, sometimes traumatic and sometimes just... Sometimes just just revelatory moments where everything changes, and so don't believe that it's going to be the way that it is forever because it's not. Don't believe that you don't have the power to affect what is happening in your local world and the world around you. We can all change this, and the number one way we do this is how is by envisioning and dreaming a new way. And to quote one of my culture heroes, Jerry Garcia, "Without love and a dream, it will never come true." The converse of that is fill your heart with love, dream a vision of what you want to see in this world, in your community, and go out and consciously work for it every day mm -hmm. and have fun. And Love that. have fun. Oh, yes. Any thoughts, Yarl, or before we move to you real quick? 
Uh, who's that Garcia guy? Did, did, didn't he make like a really good oh, ice cream? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he had, he yes. had like a flavor or something like that, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it's a little bit of flavor. <laughs> well, coming up, coming up next with some flavor. That's right. It's Hyatt 9 News' very own Florida man who's based out of Sonoma, California. That's right. He does real estate. He does cannabis. And every now and again, he does a little bit of cannabis real estate, too, when people actually got some money. That's right. Is none other than Mr. Yaro Kubrin. Yaro. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good morning. Hi at Nine News viewers. Super pleasure to be here amongst all these esteemed other participants. Monday morning, December 11th. Here we go. My name is Yaro motherfucking Kubrin. The middle name is often silent. And today I'm going to read to you a little bit about Brittany Grenier. Without further ado, ESPN and Disney announced documentary featuring Brittany Grenier's Russian imprisonment. While this film series will cover Brittany Grenier's experiences, it's important to continue advocating for cannabis prisoners both in the U.S. and abroad. On the anniversary of Brittany Grenier's release from a Russian prison, ESPN shared that Olympic athlete and WNBA all-star Brittany Grenier will be working with both ESPN Films and Disney to produce a documentary about her story. Grenier was detained in Russia in March 2022 for being in possession of cannabis vape cartridges, but after many months of suffering in prison, was eventually released by December 2022. The last two years have been the most harrowing, transformative, and illuminating period of my life, and I'm grateful to be in a place now to share my story with the world, Grenier said. I'm proud to partner with ESPN and Disney to share this very personal story because of its incredible potential to inspire hope around the world and their proven ability to do just that. Grenier's ongoing imprisonment was constantly in the headlines with frequent updates about her case, including incomplete translations by her Russian-English translator, pleading and being found guilty in court, being sent to a penal colony in an unknown location. Support came from many sources, such as LeBron James, Dennis Rodman, and President Joe Biden, but few were as prominent as Britney's wife, Sherelle. Throughout BG's detainment and in time and in the time since, ESPN, ABC, and Disney were supportive and caring in regards to the human side of the saga, Sherelle Grenier said. Love and family were at the center of the fight to get BG home. And with that in mind, there is no better, more trusted partner to tell that story with us. ESPN described the story as a scripted series that will be developed by ABC Signature and will also include exclusive interviews with Robin Roberts of ABC News, Grenier's agent, Lindsay. Kagawa Colas and John Lieberman, chairman and CEO of Brillstein Entertainment Partners, all executive producers on the project. In, that means if you pay the executive producer project, they interview you about your feelings about somebody else being put in prison in another country. <laughs> In the press release, the project was also described as using exclusive footage and rare archival material to tell the story. Brittany is an exceptional athlete whose hardship and resilience are nothing short of extraordinary, said Burke Magnus, president content ESPN. We are thrilled to be working with her to tell the nuances of her story and feel confident that this documentary will captivate audiences elsewhere, everywhere. BG is a hero across sports, culture, and humanity just not in the smuggling community. We are privileged to serve as a part of her life's story storytelling journey and to partner with her and Sherelle to bring Britney's legacy to audiences worldwide. Legacy meaning her story, not that she was legacy. Through, through Disney, ABC, and ESPN, global wide-ranging TV and film platforms, Britney's story can be realized and experienced both creatively and realistically. We are honored that Brittany has entrusted us to share her story of hope, faith, and determination across our platform, said Deborah O'Connell, president, networks, and television business operations of Disney Entertainment. Her unwavering perseverance that helped shape her as an athlete has now influenced her leadership as a human rights advocate. There's no release date for the project at this time or how prevalent the topic of cannabis will be approached, but she's expected to talk about her advocacy for the release of other wrongful detainees. <laughs> Mark Fogel, well, now 62 years old, is another U.S. citizen currently detained in Russia for cannabis possession, having originally been arrested in August of 2021. The most recent news reports of Fogel's imprisonment are from this summer, where Senator Steve Daines and Senator John Tester petitioned Biden for Fogel's release. One of the key differences between Brittany Grenier and Mark Fogel's case is that less than three months after Grenier's arrest, the State Department classified her as a wrongful, wrongfully detained. Fogel deserves the same justice, and we should be using every 
tool at our disposal, including press releases by Disney and ESPN, to bring him home, Dane said, according to the Billings Gazette. I've had the privilege of getting to know some of Mark's family, some of whom are Montanans. They have been fierce advocates here stateside, but they fear they will never see their brother's face again or hear their father's voice, and we can't let that happen. It's incredibly important to emphasize that wrongful detainees exist both abroad, but also here in our country. There are numerous U.S. prisoners serving sentences for cannabis convictions, a fact that was recently covered by Last Prisoner Project in its State of Cannabis Justice report. Justice is not achieved through more legalization alone, but by undoing the harms caused by prohibition. Last Prisoner Project announced in October. 24 states have enacted cannabis-specific record clearance laws, and 10 states have enacted cannabis-specific resentencing laws. Our report allows the public to compare, contrast, and learn more about each state's efforts to ameliorate the consequences of cannabis convictions. The study covers a large amount of data about prohibition and a breakdown of each U.S. state's legalization policies, pardon policies, and an overall grade. Only two states, California and Minnesota, received an A grade, while New Mexico, Maryland, New York received B pluses. The states that received an F grade included South Carolina, Florida, Indiana, Nebraska, Iowa, Idaho, Wisconsin, and the country of Russia. This is Yaro Kubrin, High at Nine News, Monday morning. I'd like to hear what you guys think. Oh, man. <clears throat> you know, uh, Pe Pepper in the chat brings up an interesting point. It's like weed in a Disney movie, but not at the theme park. And hey, I, you can hit I your like vapor pen. Point. You just got to do it on the rides, bro. And, 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 and you know what? I have a feeling I can tell you when this thing is going to come out, Yaro. I already can tell you its release date. It's going to be about 90 days before the election, and they're going to turn this into some woke puff piece trying to get Joe Biden reelected, and it's going to turn into a whole political satire mm -hmm. thing of how great it was that Joe Biden freed her from Russia and this and this and that and turn it all in. This is Disney ESPN. Get out of here. This is total, total propaganda piece right here. But you said it was a puff piece. I think it might be a choke piece, or maybe it's a puff and then choke piece. I mean, certainly they're trying to really lean into the feel-good attributes of this. I think it has the possibility, the potential of being something great if it talks uh, more about her life story as an inspiring it's athlete. Not. And, and also it's the not. need to continue no. to do the advocacy work. The concern I have oh, is wow. when we have quotes from like 27 people affiliated with this show before they've even created any content, they're talking about how it's going to be just the most groundbreaking episode of feel good. I mean, like I can hear the, you know, the music cue. You can hear the all the, you can hear all the pipe dreams. ESPN. Cause it's kind of an action movie because, you know, smuggling a few vape carts inadvertently into another country could have some action shots involved in it. Uh, Hold on. Who, 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 who are they? Who are they going to, get to play Brittany G. Me. Wesley Snipes. Me. Wesley Snipes. I mean, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> a little bit like her. I'm a super it's tall. I still haven't heard one word of her talking about how she advocates for this plant. Like, not one word. Mm -hmm. Well, Nothing. here's what I think. That's true. Think. Very, very true, Mandy. People who have a platform have an opportunity to do something with that platform. And they haven't and done so anything I, with it. I have, well, so when we have five quotes from people at ESPN, Disney, her, her wife, and nobody mentions Mark, who's in prison, and the writer of the article has to bring into the article the fact that there mm -hmm. are still other cannabis prisoners in Russia. Yep. What I would just say is, Brittany, I love you. I love your story. I got nothing but love for you. But if they're going to stick a microphone in your mouth, and if it has nothing to do Use with it. basketball, and you don't speak to the other prisoners that are still in the country that you got released from, then you... That's double dribbling. That's it's, a foul. It's going to be. I'm telling you, that, that's exactly what it's going to be. Or that's exactly what it's going to be. It's going to turn into a Joe Biden puff piece of how great Joe Biden was for freeing free Brittany G from the Russians and how great it is. Da, 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 and that's what it's going to turn into. We and, still have this Mark guy and other people, and we need to get them home. And so anybody yes, who's had the facts. opportunity to become a cannabis prisoner and then released because of whatever, and I would put myself in this same category, if we don't use our 15 seconds of fame to get somebody else out, then we didn't do what 
society was initially and originally intended to do. Those things that Matthew St. Germain are trying to bring back into the conversation about how we uplift each other, we help each other, we leave the door open for each other, and we do things, selfless acts of kindness without any expectation of remuneration or credit. And so I'm just so saddened that they did this whole press release, but they didn't talk about the other people that needed to be released. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, also, let's not forget that there's actual people here in the U.S. in prison for vape cartridges. So let's just remember that here in our own soil, our own backyard Mm. happening. That all all of those all of those. None of those people are getting Disney movies. Nope. Or ESPN features or covers of magazines or someone writing a book on their behalf. None of those things. Yep. The other thing Nothing. also is I, I always believe that businesses that are aligned with a, a, a common good or a better good or a higher good have the best chance of being successful. And what I would have liked is at a very minimum, if they were going to have this massive multi-quoted press release from all these people, is any of the money from this movie being used to support the issues that are going to be covered in this movie? No, uh, it's all going to go to it's all going to go to Joe Biden's campaign coffers. Well, I thought you said Joe Biden was so old that he was already in a coffin. Never mind. Listen, I don't know that this is entirely a partisan issue. I just think that this press release shows the room for improvement in terms of highlighting the need to get other people out and also making sure that commercial enterprises that are based on cannabis and cannabis, the end of cannabis prohibition, are giving some percentage of proceeds to the to the the worthy organizations that are doing the work that still needs to continue. Mm-hmm. Fair, 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 fair points. Fair points, Yarrow. I have I have one more story. I'm just going to read the headline for you guys because I, I find it pretty pretty funny. Um, cannabis taxes have not solved Colorado's budget woes. And if you want to hear about this story, go ahead and go and check it out on our website, www.hyatt9news.com. But it's, it's it just goes into a whole bunch of fun little facts about uh, Colorado's budget and how it was all promised that it was going to pay for schools and this not and how all that money is just like uh, every other Democratic run state where it's going into the general fund and not going uh, to really pay for things that uh, the voters were promised it would pay for. But, uh, you know, more more of the same and more of the same. So it's funny because we all know that the taxes don't solve the woes, that a lot of times the woe itself is the taxes. Exactly. get that. And on a federal level, separate from cannabis, we see a lot of taxes being collected in blue states and being redirected towards red states. So I do find it ironic from a partisan and political perspective that a lot of Republican-identifying people will lament the taxes that are being collected while those taxes are simultaneously being redirected to benefit constituents in heavily uh, Republican identified states. And so if Jason, if you want to take the tax money that is siphoned off the top in New York state or California and no longer allow other states to benefit from that money, uh, that sounds like a great initiative for a Republican lawmaker to suggest. I mean, if that was the case, <laughs> if, if, if that was the case, Yarrow, then the reality is that every major city, everyone would starve to death because you wouldn't be getting any food from any of the farms. And that's just what would happen. So, no, that's not that's not even technically, a reality. That's the not even, you can't the even say that with a straight face. Technically, the majority of the consumable uh, flora created in the United States is in the Central Valley of California, which is a blue state. And that a lot of the farm and uh, a lot of the farms creating corn and wheat in the Midwest, a lot of that goes towards uh, grain for animals. So mm-hmm. I still think the bread basket of the country is blue as fuck. Oh, man, you can still live in that dream world if you want. But nonetheless, thank you all for joining us and getting high at nine with us every Monday through Friday here um, at 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big thank you to all of our correspondents, everyone tuning in regular. We know your time is valuable and we appreciate the fact that you come here and spend the time with us. Also, thank you all. Hope you all are having a happy, happy, happy holiday season. And this has been High at Nine News. It's America's number one daily cannabis news show.